All right. Hey, let's do what we always do. I'm glad to be here. How about you? Give me some love. Yes. Fired up for today. Um, hey, just keep the clappers going a little bit. Let's welcome everybody who's going to be watching online later this week. Super pumped about that. Hey, just so you know, um, when we welcome people like that, we have you know, around 70 people who watch during the week, and so it's a big deal. Thanks for joining us online uh, later. Um, we are in the second week of a series called Dangerous Prayers, and we're just having a ton of fun. Last week, we actually launched the series, kind of explaining why. Why in the world would you do a series called Dangerous Prayers? I mean, what's the point of maybe a church praying a little bit more dangerous things than, than just kind of casual stuff? And, and we said it's because we absolutely have to. Uh, the mission and the vision that City Point has, what, we're, what we really believe that we're called to be a part of, uh, wouldn't make sense for us to pray casual prayers around here. That we actually believe God has called us to, to do something kind of remarkable. Last week I actually used this whiteboard. I drew out kind of our, our mission and our vision. And I walked through the who, what, where, why, how, and when kind of questions of just who we are. And I said, hey, afterwards, uh, that should spur us on to go and, and in order to accomplish reaching 22,000 people for Jesus in our county and the surrounding counties around us, we have to pray dangerous prayers. Now, we actually had everybody leave on the way out grabbing one of these cards. And if you weren't here yesterday, you can just kind of take notes of these things. These are four things that we're specifically asking people to pray for around here at City Point Church. The, the first one is the number 1,000. You might go, what's, what's that all about? What's 1,000 for? Well, we're actually praying right now that God would use our church on Easter Sunday to reach 1,000 people that 1,000 people would come and check out our church. Now you might go, how is that even possible? Well, just as so you know, last weekend, we had 490 people show up to City Point. It was a great Sunday, uh, a lot of people showed up, and we actually think with a little bit of effort, a little bit of prayer, and some boldness on our end, with us inviting our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors and friends, that we actually can get that number quite easily. And so we're praying about it, and we're kind of going after it with some intensity right now, because even last Sunday, with 500 people showing up, 150 of them were kids. So it was, a, it was a crazy Sunday. Kids' rooms were just hopping, literally. I mean, there was a lot of, like, little boogers to wipe off, you know, all morning long. It was a great Sunday, but here's kind of what I want to tell you about. The number of 1,000 doesn't excite me really that much. It's the people that that number represents. This morning on my way into church, we set up in the morning at 530. I was picking up donuts out of Casey's right in town here, and there was a, there was a kind of a middle-aged woman who was right after me, and as I'm loading up my car and she grabbed her coffee, she just kind of used an explicit word and go, screw the day, I can't wait for this day to be over. And I was like, well, what a terrible way to start out at 5.30 in the morning, that's a long day. And it dawned on me as I was driving into, you know, this campus here, that there's a lot of people who live life that way who live life kind of with, just screw it, just another day. And so this Easter, I'm praying that a bunch of people who are maybe hurting, maybe who have kind of wrote God off and said, you know what, you know, forget it, uh, would maybe take a shot on coming, that maybe me and you would invite some of those people, and that they would come and find a place that is hope-filled, that they'd walk through our doors like, hap like it happens every single week, and that there'd be people at the front, there'd be a silly dog costume out there with bubbles going on, and they would say things like this, no way, no way. This is happening at a church, and they would round the corner here, they'd see a big kids point sign, and there'd be smiling volunteers going, what's your name, can I check in your kids? 
And as they take their kids around the corner and they drop off their little precious, you know, cargo and then in the nursery rooms and the three-year-old rooms and the first to fifth grade rooms, that there'd be adults there that said, you know what, I'm going to invest everything I got for the next hour into making sure these kids have the absolute best hour of their week. And then as they do that and they come into here, and since those rooms are operating at such a high level, they come in here and they might have stuff that they're wrestling with, but the hope and the grace and the forgiveness that we'll talk about on Easter Sunday might just change the trajectory of their life. That's what fires me up about Easter Sunday. So, big question for you is how can you participate? How can you get on board? You might have been coming here for you know, the last few Sundays, you might be going, ah, this is so good so far, and maybe you've been a little hesitant at stepping and getting involved. Well, I just wanna let you know right now that we would love it if you got involved. We actually think people matter so much that we have to provide environments where people just go, no way. This church is different, they are set apart. These are people who are actually excited that I'm here and they operate at a level where I can come and have church done at a great, you know, just at a, at a great level. So I wanna just ask you, if you are interested in serving, if you could play a role in that, on the back of your program, there's a spot that says, I'm interested in serving. And maybe you're hearing and go, yeah, you know, I could see myself helping out in the nursery. I could see myself, you know, investing in some fifth graders. I could see myself hanging out and building blocks with a three-year-old, and I'd go, there'd be nothing better to spend an hour, you know, doing life with a little munchkin, making sure that they have a great Sunday morning. Now, that's one plug. The other plug is uh, for my brother. He's, he's the one who leads the worship around here. And he's been just, uh, he's been going all over the place, trying to find musicians, trying to, you know, knock on kind of opportunities for people to get involved in that level. And so maybe you're here and you play an instrument, you sing, you enjoy kind of the, the you know, the, the level of music quality we have around here, and you might know somebody. Well, I'd just encourage you, write that down. Go, yeah, I could serve, I could help out in that capacity. I could do lights or sound or stuff like that. That would just make us feel like after Easter Sunday, that we're staffed, we're volunteer heavy so that when we move forward and people check us out, they actually might show back up and we'll be ready for them. So we're just excited about that. That's the first one. The second one is generosity. We actually just got done concluding a series called Shatterproof where we spent three weeks really kind of looking at this idea. What would it look like if you shatterproofed your finances? I mean, what, how cool would that be if you knew that your, your financial picture was shatterproof? That'd be great. And we just, you know, had a record-setting month for City Point. I mean, it was a fabulous month. You guys responded so well. And I just want to remind you, that doesn't mean it stops last month. It keeps going on and on and on. This is something that, and this is less of a plug for money. This is more of a plug for your heart. When we embrace being generous, God can do something in us that is just special. So we're just praying that generosity would increase, that great things would happen. We're also praying for a City Point hub. Uh, what that really means is right now we office in a in kind, of a, a, kind of a half a building that's 500 square feet, a little over 500 square feet. We've got four little, tiny little you know, office spaces. And we know with a church that's growing that we would like to pursue finding a spot that allows us 24-hour access to like a ministry hub where we could do student ministry. It's called Collide, where we could have our life groups meet 
and on any given night, we can have 100 people gathering, you know, and we rent out different facilities all over the city, and so we're going, I think now is a good time for us to start pursuing having a facility that would meet those needs. We don't mind if it's renting or buying, and you might have the funds to help us do that or the context to move that forward, and we're just praying about it now, and we just wanted to tip you off of that. The last one is this word double. We have five core values around here, five values that we think if you kind of see increase in your lives, you'll ever increasingly be more and more like Christ, which is the whole ball game, is you coming and getting to know Jesus as your savior. And each of these values, we're gonna start pouring intentional energy into seeing them double in our lives. That was last week. And it kind of summed it up, going, well, you better pray some big prayers if you're gonna see those things happen. And we're going, absolutely. And we're fired up about it. Now, before I dive in, with this series being called Dangerous Prayers, I just wanna let you know that I'm kind of a guy who likes to live life a little bit on the edge. I mean, I do. If you... If I'm kind of like locked up playing it safe for far too long, I start to like develop a twitch. You ever know people like that or just like, they need, they need some like, some adrenaline or they just, you know, twitching and stuff. And like, that's me, ask my wife, it drives her crazy because I make bonehead moves all the times. But I wonder with this room, how many of you kind of have that same itch? And so I pulled up a couple questions, a little bit of a survey to see how dangerous, you know, we are as a, as a group of people here. So I want you to raise your hand if you'd be willing to do this, okay? Raise your hand, number one, if you'd be willing to go skydiving. Let's just see it. How many of you sky, and, and don't let money, I'll just, I'll fork it up for you, okay? I'll pay your ticket, skydiving. Who, give me one more time. All right, there's a few of you. Way to go. All right, last service had you way beat. They're way braver than you. All right, uh, the second one, how many of you would be willing to swim with sharks? Swim with sharks. This was less than the skydivers. I mean, all right, way to go. There's a couple of you still hanging in here. How many of you, this one, this one eliminates me right off the board. How many of you would be willing to eat buffalo wings that are dipped in the buffalo blazing hot sauce from B-dubs. Who would be willing to do that? Yeah, there are even fewer, right? This is like, no way, I'm down in the green, my dad's up in the red, I just, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to that. But this one takes the cake, all right? I know you're seriously living on edge if you're willing to do this. How many of you would be willing to spend a whole evening with four kids, five years old and under? Raise your hand, all right? I really want to see you now, okay? I just... Would you write your name down and your number and we'll do a background check and me and Carrie will be set for the year. I, if you're like, what is he talking about? I got four daughters that are five years old and under and not many people just so you know, want to bite that one off. Shows how dangerous my wife is and uh, she actually continues to love on me. So it's just great. We're, we're, we're kind of in this idea that, that living on edge is just better. I mean, having a little bit of fun and just kind of you know, testing the water is good, but there's one area for me, quite frankly, that if I go on cruise control, the natural default is not towards, you know, life-giving dangers. The natural default for me is more, you know, safe, and it's the area of prayer. Just left to my own, if I'm just going to, like, cruise on through life, my prayers don't increasingly get more bolder. I mean, I have to pour serious intentionality for that to happen. But if I were to go on cruise control with this prayer stuff, I mean, it would just ever get safer. You'd hear me praying things like, God, would you bless this food? You know, bless this Casey's pizza. You know, like, God, would you be with my girls as they sleep tonight and help them have dreams of ice cream trucks? You know, like, these are just, these are the prayers that would come out of my mouth if I'm just casually going through this prayer stuff. And a while back, I read a book that really kind of spurred on us starting this church. It was just this 
I mean, just a pivotal moment for me when I was reading this book called The Circle Maker, and I heard quotes like this. I'll put them on the screen for you. Quotes like this. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Loved reading that. I mean, that was like, if I was leaning towards, you know, cruise control, that just fired me up. I was like, oh, man, I have to start praying more dangerously. Another quote was this. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He's not offended by that stuff. You wonder what he's offended by? He's offended by anything less. And that just fired me up. That was like moving me from like one RPMs up to eight. I was like, man, rev this thing up. I'm going to pray for the moon. And I'm telling you what. It's when I'm praying like that that I really feel like I'm living. So for the next two weeks, including this one, we're going to look at two of the most dangerous prayers that I believe were ever written in the pages of Scripture. Next week is from a guy, it's a prophet, Isaiah, and he prayed this simple prayer. Here I am, God, send me. I know there's a lot of other people that you could, you know, pick, but God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me to change the course of history for this, this people group. Choose me, use me, send me, is what he said. Uh, this week, we're gonna look at a prayer from a guy named King David. King David, he was a biblical giant. I mean, this guy was all throughout the pages of scripture heard of. I mean, this guy had success stories and monumental failures. And he pens, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous prayers in all the Bible because it's so vulnerable. You can find it in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Here's what it says. I'll put it on the screen for you. He writes this, search me, O God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me, God, along the path of everlasting life. You ever pray a prayer like that? You ever ask God, hey, I'm an open book, God, search me. See if there's anything in my life right now, God. Here I am. Just search me. And I wonder if some of you are in the room and you're going, why would I ever ask God to do that? I mean, like, give me a break. What is, you know, who is God that he deserves to search me? And it's, the truth is he's God. And he deserves, and he has the best in store for us. And so I wonder if David was looking back on his life in some ways going, oh, man, if I don't have a routine checkup with God as my examiner, if I don't have a routine checkup where God can lean in and point out things in my life, then I'll make the same mistakes that I made in the past. And so he asked God. He doesn't ask Uncle Frank or, you know, Uncle Eddie to ask, search him. He says, God, would you search me? And the truth is, I wonder if some of you are in the room and you're going, I don't need God to do that. And it kind of reminds me of my daughter, Micah. The last week or so, I remember walking into the living room and Micah was right on the floor. She was playing with something and just kind of doing her own business. Carrie and the other three were, were off in a couple other rooms and, and I don't know if I was getting coffee ready in the morning or what I was doing, but after a few seconds of silence, which is just, you know, around our house is not very long, I'm like, this is pretty good. You know, I, I see Micah kind of perk her head up, look around, she doesn't see mom, and she yells out at the top of her lungs, mom, come give me some juice and a snack period, goes back to her stuff. I'm in the kitchen like, 
does she talk like that all the time? Like, who talks to her mom? I can't talk to her like that. You know, like, what's going on? And so I had this moment as a dad where I was like, I've read the books. I've read the parenting stuff. I should address this one, you know? And just so you know, before, this happens all the time in our house. Like, constantly you'll hear things like, Mom, would you read to me? Mom, would you, you know, do this? The worst one is, Mom, would you give me a wipe? Oh, it's just like, yeah, you know, just all the time. But when she said, Mom, get me a drink, and get me a snack. I was like, oh, oh, oh. I was like, got out my notepad. I'm going to give you a three-point message right now. So I get on the floor, you know, I'm like, Micah, you cannot talk to mom like that. You know, and I start talking to her, and about 20 seconds into this brilliant speech, you want to know what she does? She looks up at me, she goes, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm not mom. I was like, what do you mean you forgot? She goes, I don't know, I just had this moment where I thought I was mom, and so I was bossing her around. I was like, What am I supposed to say to that? Except it just dawned on me that I think a lot of us feel like that. And we wouldn't admit it out loud, but when you hear this idea of asking God to search you, you might sometimes think, who's God? Like, I got it. I can can take care of myself. And just like my daughter Micah sometimes feels like she's something that she's not, we sometimes feel like that in our own lives. And so David, he goes, "No, no, not for me. The times that I feel like I'm on my own and I'm doing it my way, I screw up. So I'm going to ask God to do something big in my life. I'm going to ask him to do a full exam of my life. It might not be fun. It might remind me of like junior high and high school physicals where I'm asked to drop things that I don't want to drop, you know, and cough in a direction I don't want to cough. But I'm going to ask God to search me. Because if I don't, then I run the risk of having things in my life that aren't supposed to be there. And God's the only one, because he's God, who can look and find the very things that shouldn't be. It actually reminds me of how this psalm actually starts in 139 verses 1 through 3. Listen to how just incredible God is. It says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. So none of this is news to God. None of this is new to him. He's, he's going, God, you already know. It was this idea of that I'm going to humble myself and ask you Anyways, he says, you know when I sit down, when I stand up, you know my anxious thoughts even when I'm far away. He says, God, you know everything I do. In other words, God, nothing escapes your examine. Nothing escapes what you're going to find. You're going to see everything in me. So David prays, search me. Would you search and check me out? So four things about this prayer that I want to do, I want to walk through, because I think if we get this prayer down, if we start praying this sort of prayer, God, check out my life, it can be a breakout moment for me and you. So if you want to take some notes down, I'll write them with you. The first thing that David prays is this idea of search my heart. Search my heart. He says, Hey, God, I need you to search my heart. Listen to literally what he says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. I need you to know my heart. Now, why in the world would he start with his heart? I mean, why not his brain? Why not his words? Why not his actions? He knows that if he gets his heart right, that things will follow. I mean, isn't that true for a lot of us? If he gets his heart driven in the right direction, if he starts going, God, there's a lot of stuff in my heart that's just off, if he can get that one centered up, then he's in good shape. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah, you know, verse, or chapter 17. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? 
I mean, this prophet is going, hey, your heart will deceive you left and right all day long. And it happens to each and every one of us. Because the truth is, nobody deceives us as much as we deceive ourselves. I mean, our heart likes to tell us things that we're, you know, it likes to tell us we're better than we are or worse than we actually are. I mean, it's not uncommon for us to think things like this. I'm not that materialistic. I mean, I just buy a lot of stuff. I'm not, you know, I'm not that, you know. I'm not, I don't eat that much. I only binge every once in a while. Or, you know, I'm pretty much not that mean of a person. I just think that person's an idiot. You know, like, you know, your heart just deceitful. You know, I don't have that bad of an anger problem. I just fly off the handle every once in a while. It's not that bad. Your heart tells you it's not that bad. Lust? Like, give me a break. I don't have a lust problem. I just really like attractive women or men. You know, I just really, uh, I just, whatever. You know, gossip? You gotta be kidding me. I'm not a gossip. I just like to update my prayer list. You know, I just, I did, what? on and on and on. It's happened for like four of you. You're like, that's me. But the truth is our heart does that. I don't drink that much. I don't have a drinking problem. And our hearts tell us things all the time. And I bet David was at this spot as a guy who is known as having a being a man after God's own heart, and he's going, oh man, the times, he's thinking, the times that I've made my biggest bonehead moves is when my heart's deceived me. And so he's going, God, I gotta have you search my heart. I gotta have you make sure that there's nothing wicked in me. God, would you search my heart? That's the first thing he prays. The second thing he prays is, God, would you reveal my fears? Would you reveal my fears? Oh, that was badass. Reveal my fears. God, would you show me my fears? Listen to exactly what he says. He says, search me, O God, know my heart. And then he says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Big question. What makes you anxious? What causes you to get fearful? What keeps you up at night? I'm not sure if you know what it's like to just have a, your brain just spin and spin and spin. It might be over money. It might be over a relationship, and you're just going, oh, it's just hard to shut it down. I just have so much anxiety in this area of my life. It might be over, you know, a, a move in your, your workplace. You just go, oh, it just bogs my brain down. God, I just have fear. And he, David's going, not only do I want you to search my heart, I want you to expose my fears. Why? Because God desperately cares. He desperately cares about each and every one of us. And when we understand that, he goes, you can bring your fears to me. And just so you know, a life of fear is not what God has in store for us. He doesn't plan us out going, oh, I want them to be plagued with fear their whole life. Listen to what Paul actually gives advice for in the New Testament. He says this in Corinthians uh, chapter 10. He says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. He says, when your mind starts to drift towards you being all pent up and anxious and worried, you know, and on edge and just a loose cannon, he goes, he said, you got to lean into what God would have for you. Make it obedient to what Jesus would say. And I've learned for myself that when I fear the most is usually where I'm trusting God the least. When I have fear the most in my life is usually a direct correlation to what I am trusting God the least amount in my life. And so David goes, I don't want that. 
That can't be the story of my life and it can't be the story of your life. So we're gonna ask God, would you search my heart? Would you reveal my fears? Would you show them? Well, what type of stuff does God wanna do? He wants to share promises with you that would show you that you can trust him. Jesus says, bring your fears to him. He cares. Listen to these three promises in the scripture. If you want to write them down, it's extra credit. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because he cares for you. All your worries, all your fears. Because you have a God who cares. Maybe that was the very thing that you were supposed to hear today. There's a God who doesn't think you're wasting his time There's a God who actually cares about your thoughts, cares about what worries you. And he says, bring him to me, would you please? It's almost like he's a a father leaning down going, you don't have to be afraid of that. I'm here and I'm with you. So would you bring your fears to me? I got it. I can take care of you. Another verse that's so powerful to me is 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He hasn't created you to be timid. No, he didn't create you, form you in your mother's womb and say, I want to make them fearful for their whole life. He wouldn't have wired you like that. He loves you far too much. What he did is he actually gave you power, love, and self-discipline. He wants you to experience that. And he's going, oh, would you hold on to that promise? A great verse that a lot of athletes wear on their sneakers and stuff is Philippians 4.13. It's a great verse when it comes to having fear in your life. It's a verse that says, for I can do everything. I can do everything. I don't have to be scared. I can do everything through Jesus who gives me strength. When I have Jesus, boy, I can face my fears. I don't have to live in that way. David was 100% certain that a heart that was all off kilter was not the best for him. A life that was driven by fear, that had led him to some bad stuff in the past. He knew he had to figure that out. The third thing that he prayed, though, in this prayer was, hey, God, not only search my heart, you know, reveal my fears, he he prayed, show me, show me my sin. It's a bold prayer. Say, hey, God, would you show me my sin? Listen to what it says. He says, point out anything. Point out anything, God. You get to point out, you get to look in, you get to see anything in me that offends you, and would you just make it known? Would you make it known? I wonder if you're here and you're going, I don't need God to point out anything in me. I know good and well what my sin is. The last thing I need is him reminding me. And the truth is, there's a lot of stuff inside of us that and it eats us up that we don't know about. Yeah, you might fly off the handle when you're at home with your family, but what's in it? I mean, what's the root of that thing? Why are you doing that? God wants to show you. At work, you might be a hothead. You might, you know, what, what's behind that? God wants to show you. David prays, would you point out, would you show me anything in me? And he's going, I have to have you do that, God. Because life that's driven by this is no good. I think David would have said, everything in my life that has this associated with it has only caused me pain and hurt. And the truth is, for us in the room, nobody argues about this. You don't even have to have a faith background. But all of us would say, the stuff in our life that's driven by sin always ends up negative. 
It's no good. And so David's going, God, I, I need you. I know it's not going to feel good to have my sin exposed. I know it's not going to feel good to have my junk, you know, brought out of the dark closet in my life. But God, do it. Do it. You might be saying the same thing. My marriage is too important to have this stuff wreck me. My relationship with my kids, my grandkids, is way too important to let this stuff get in the way. My career, my job, my integrity, my morals, is, it's just way too important to let that ruin me. And David's going, I've had it happen in my past and we would be able to agree. And so he's saying, God, would you do something? Would you point out anything within me? Now there's, truth of the matter is, there's a lot of things that we can't see. You call them blind spots. And a couple years back, at a global leadership summit, Bill Hybels, he's the pastor of a big church in Chicago, spoke on this very thing, blind spots, things that you just can't see in your life. Check this video out, and then I'll share a little bit more. The definition of a blind spot is something someone believes they do well, but everyone on the team knows that it's not true. Research from the Lominger Group suggests that all of us leaders, on average, all of us leaders have 3.4 blind spots. And I can prove it right now. Because when I just gave you that stat, 3.4 blind spots in your life, 100% of you just said to yourself, not me. 100%. No, not me. I don't have any. It's because you're blind to your blind spots, you see? No, we would all admit to having some weaknesses, and you could name them, and you're working on them. That's cool. But the danger with blind spots is that you really have no idea they exist. So, for decades, I have prided myself for being cool under pressure. I was a fantastic poker player in college. I'm low drama. I rarely raise my voice, slam doors, or pound on any tables. I'm great under pressure, so much so very few people ever even know when I'm stressed, or so I thought. <laughs> several years ago, a perfect storm of pressure came into my life, which lasted several months. But I was going to stay calm, cool, and collected. I wasn't going to let anyone know I was under stress or make anybody else pay, because I'm awesome under pressure. Did I mention that? I'm awesome <laughs> under pressure. One day during that era, as a female colleague of mine was leaving my office, she got to my office door, she turned around and she said, you don't even know that you make all of us crazy when you're stressed out. You don't even know that, do you? She said, just because you're on a crazy train right now gives you no right to expect that we all have to ride it too. So just so that you know, I'm not getting on the crazy train with you this time. <laughs> I'm gonna stay at the station and wave bye-bye to you and whoever else wants to get on that train. She goes, I'm done with that. So she closes the door and leaves. I was speechless, okay? <laughs> so I, I sat there thinking to myself, I'm better under pressure than any senior leader I know. She ought to thank God on her knees every day that she works for a boss who can carry tremendous loads of pressure without anybody even knowing about it, much less having to pay for it, the nerve. <laughs> After work that day, I went running with a trusted friend and I told him how a colleague of mine had accused me of something totally untrue of me. I, I told him how wronged I felt, how misunderstood and hurt I was to be falsely accused of not being cool under pressure. My running partner stopped dead in the middle of the street we were running on, and he said, are you kidding me, Hybels? Everybody knows when you're stressed. When you're stressed, 
You put stress on all of us. And then his next sentence was kind of the capper. He said, when you overwork, you're not happy unless everyone around you is overworking too. And we all know it and we all feel it, but you don't get it. That was quite a moment of truth for me. That was the moment I saw my blind spot in all of its ugliness. It was very disappointing to me. How could I have not seen this in myself? So I started confessing this to my friends, and they tried to be very understanding. They're going, the light bulb just went on now, dude. <laughs> That's what blind spots are, you see. So I wonder, do you have some? David sure knew he did. So he says, hey, God, show them to me. I don't want to be blind to those things. None of us do. None of us, none of us want to get to the end of anything and go, oh, man, I was just naked and nobody told me about it. Three questions that help kind of identify this stuff is, number one, what is God's spirit telling me in, in regards to your sin, in regards to your blind spot? How do you identify this? Well, what's God leaning in on you right now? What's he prompting you with right now? Maybe even as we're speaking, as we're talking about sin, there might be something that just like, you just go, oh, that's it. God's spirit might just tell you. Another question that just helps us identify this is, what are other people telling me? You know, like, what's the, what's the trusted friend? What's the trusted colleague? What's your spouse saying, hey, you know, this might be an area right now for you? That it's a blind spot. Boy, people can help identify those for you. The kicker for me, though, is the third question that identifies this is, where am I most offensive? You ever been there? I'm not angry. And you blow up right back. I can handle that. You know, I got, it's not hurting anybody else, you might say. Where are you most offensive? I don't have a pride issue. You can maybe hear me saying from time to time. You've got to be kidding me. Those three questions, they help identify this stuff in your life. We don't want to be blind to this. And David knew it. So he prayed, God, would you search my heart? I can't have fear bog me down. And God, would you show me my sin? The last thing that he prays, though, is quite possibly the most dangerous, the most crazy thing that anybody can pray. It's this prayer that says this, two words. Lead me. God, would you, would you search my heart? Look at my fear. Check out my sin. But he doesn't stop there. He says, God, you have full permission to lead my life. God, hey, I got stuff in my life left to my own. I always drift in the wrong way. God, I'm asking you to lead me. I'm asking you to do something in me that I can't do on my own. He literally says this, lead me along the path of everlasting life. David found himself at a spot where he was humble enough to look at his past. He was humble enough to look at his future without God leading him, and he said, I don't want it. 
I don't want it. I want better than what I can do on my own. And I just wonder if you're in the same boat today. You're going, oh man, if I'm on my own, I sacrifice the best that God has for me. So I'm going to trust him. I'm going to ask God to lead me. For some of you, that's a sin area in your life. And God's going, I want to lead you out of an addiction. I want to lead you out of a pattern. I want to lead you out of something in your life that is causing nothing but hurt and pain for you. God, would you lead me? Others of you, even as I started off talking about this card, you're going, oh man, I know, I know God is leading me to get involved at a higher level. To be more generous, maybe. To start serving. To play a significant role in seeing people come to know Christ. And yet there's some of you, quite possibly the best thing that I've ever felt led by God to do is my personal 15 minutes with God. Where I just go, God, I need you to lead me. But it can't just be once in a while when I pray this. God, it's got to be something that I develop in my life every day. I got to have your strength and your power to lead me every day of my life. So God, would you lead me? Again, I think the majority of us in this room know the very thing that God is asking you to let him lead in your life. But here's what I believe. I actually believe that there's some of you in the room, some of you here in the room, that for the first time, you're starting to wrestle with this idea of, no, 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 I think I'm supposed to lead myself. I think I'm supposed to, you know, drive my own life. And you're hearing things like, no, let God lead you. And you're going, oh, that could be a big step of faith. And that's exactly why we call it the faith line, where you move from yourself being the leader of your life to stepping over the faith line and you trusting God to lead your life. It's why it's the dangerous prayer. God, you lead me. You take my life on my own yeah, I can work harder. I can pull up my own bootstraps. I can, you know, I can be Iowa tough and figure it out. But God, you know what? As I look backwards and as I look forward, I want better. I want what you have in store for me, God. So I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to ask you to lead my life. I wonder if you're in the room and that's your move. You need God to lead you. Well, friends, I want to sing a song this morning that will really talk about this idea. If that's your move, one of the temptations you might face is, hold on, i got to clean up my heart on my own before I come to God. Or, God, i got to get rid of my fears. i got to get those in check before you, know, before you can really do something with my life. God, i got to take care of my sin on my own before you'd extend grace to me. And... And I just want you to hear God saying back to you, are you kidding me? I'm your heavenly father. There's nothing more than I want for you than it just to come. Just to come with me, junk and all. Come with me, fears and all. Come with me, broken heart and all. I will do something in you and through you and for you than you could have ever asked or imagined. I got something so good, and it's the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. So during this song, I'm gonna ask you to stay seated.
And some of you are going to reflect on your heart. Others, there'll be fear. Maybe a large percent of you will go, oh, there's some stuff in me that I got to get figured out. And yet, I think there's people here that are going to feel God prompting them to make a step to be led by Christ, to let God accept you and forgive you and give you the grace and love and hope that he offers.